on today's episode of Isolated But Not Alone. I'm going to provide you a definition of mental health, and the definition might actually surprise you. So please stay tuned. Hi, this is James Rains, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Rains is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. All right, on today's episode, we are going to discuss a definition for mental health. And at first, I know I said there's going to be a surprise, but I just want to start by giving a brief introduction to mental health and how people define mental health. So mentalhealth.gov gives a little bit of a definition that basically says mental health includes emotional, psychological, and social well-being, and it affects how we think, feel, and act. The World Health Organization defines mental health as a state of well-being in which the individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively and fruitful, and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. And like I said, these are just basic definitions of mental health. We see that they include our emotions, our thoughts, and how we connect with others in relationship. And it usually involves how we think, how we feel, and our behavior. We see that it also comes to knowing that it affects our abilities and how we cope with normal stressors of life and how we work can work more productively and produce more fruit in our life and that we can make contributions to our community. What's interesting here is, and I want to make this distinction so that everyone understands, is that normal stressors of life do not include things that would be considered traumatic or things that produce stress um, that might not be normal. For example, uh, the death of a loved one that's unexpected, the loss of a child, um, being involved in some type of high-stress situation like a car accident or a train accident or witnessing one of these things, or being involved in a global pandemic or a disaster of some kind. So with that general definition, I kind of want to take this time to talk a little bit about what I think is surprising about the definition of mental health. So what's surprising about mental health is that even though there's like kind of a generic definition for mental health, there are many different beliefs and theories about what defines mental health, especially what defines kind of the problems of mental health or the problems that can occur to cause mental health issues and how people change. And that's kind of like what's causing the problem and how do we move or change to a place where the problem is less and therefore we're moving from 
mental illness into more mental health. And so that's kind of the surprising part. And I remember when I first started school to learn about mental health, and I was shocked by all the different views and beliefs about um, how we define health and who defines health and um, why this person defines health this way versus another person who defines health a completely different way. And so through the next couple of podcasts in the series, we're going to talk about the the various different belief systems about uh, mental health and uh, why people believe certain things about mental health, because one size does not fit all for mental health. And that's very clear just from the fact that every person is unique. Every person has different experiences that have developed them in a way uh, that may be different from other people. I always say, or I guess I have always said in therapy sessions when talking with, with folks is that two people could be raised in the same household. I always say twins. So twins can be raised in the same household around the same age and have the same parents. And after growing up to into adulthood, uh, these same two twins who had almost all the same experiences because of their perception, one twin sees the world as a, a dark and, and scary place, a negative place where one has to constantly be on their guard in order to be safe. Whereas the other twin, again, having same parents, similar experiences, sees the world as a positive and happy and safe place where dreams can be achieved. And that's kind of, with mental health, that's kind of the issue we're coming into is people have different views of what it is for them and what it means for them. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the mechanics of like how certain people define problems as well as um, kind of how they define change, which might give you a picture of how um, some therapists are sitting in a room looking at you and kind of how things are working in their mind. Now, I've not only I feel like the, there's these commercials when I was a kid with like the hair club for men. I don't know if my audience knows what that is, but I always thought that was kind of funny because you always had the guy and he had this like beautiful hair and he was like, not only am I the president of the company, but I'm also a client. And uh, when thinking of that, <laughs> I think about mental health. Not only am I somebody who sits in a room and does my best to help another individual in a process of guiding towards health, I too have benefited um, from the field of mental health and those who took the time to try and sit with me in my space to help me through difficult times. And so I always in therapy try and deluminate, maybe that's not not deluminate, that I don't know. I'm getting confused with the, the minions. I try to illuminate the process of therapy. I'm very much, I have a background in education, and so I'm very much about, this is not magic. Uh, therapy is not magic, though sometimes it may seem like that. Um, there's a process and there are thoughts behind uh, why the therapist is saying what they're saying, why they're doing what they're doing, um, just the same as why the client is saying what they're saying and doing what they're doing. And I always try to demystify that process. 
And I know that's not how everybody does it because I have sat in therapy sessions being a partaker of the therapy process, not being a therapist or a counselor or a mental health practitioner or provider. I have sat in where I am the client and I am receiving those mental health services. And I have sat in there with therapists who would never, ever illuminate the process for me. And I know that that in and of itself is an example about how people see the problem, how they see change, um, and how they kind of define mental health. Because some people want their intentions to be hidden. They don't want the client to understand what they are doing. Not because they're trying to like do something, you know, against the client's will or anything like that. They are simply partaking in a theory that believes or holds that people have resistance and that teaching them about the process only causes that person's subconscious ability to resist, to adapt. So therefore their resistance adapts because as they take in more knowledge about how the process works, they develop more tools to resist that process and therefore get stuck or continue to be stuck in their problem. That's why some therapists do that. And if you don't know that that's why those therapists are doing that, it might seem kind of odd. Just like somebody who goes to see one therapist who participates in therapy like that and then comes to see somebody like me where I'm like graph chart. This is exactly why I said what I just said. And this is the reason why this is my model. This is what it looks like. This is where we're starting from. This is where we want to get to. That can be kind of confusing sometimes to a client. And I know that I'm not talking to a world full of people who have not partaken in mental health therapy. Um, there might be some folks here who know exactly or can exp- have experienced exactly what I just talked about, where they have been in the therapy world long enough to have more than one therapist and to notice that one therapist does not practice the same as another therapist. And that's why it's so important to be empowered when it comes to your therapy. You know, sometimes we get into a power dynamic there and there is a power dynamic to where the therapist is not a good fit. There maybe it's their personality. Maybe it's the way they do things. Uh, I know, for example, one time I had a therapist that I started to see that reminded me that literally physically looked like and reminded me had similar mannerisms as somebody who was an abuser to me as a child. Now, this particular therapist had done nothing in and of themselves wrong to me, right? And they were well-known, well-established, and for all intensive purposes, an expert in a very particular field in which I was seeking help. And yet, every time I sat in a therapy session, and I only went to one or two, maybe three, I literally felt like my skin was crawling, but I kept going for more than one session because I felt bad, right? I felt bad and I felt like clearly this must be my fault. So I got to fix it, right? I got to fix it and then things will get better. And eventually what happened was, and you know, this is not something I'm like tooting my own horn about, but what eventually happened was I just stopped going to see them with no explanation. You know, it didn't really respond to any communication from them. And that in and of itself is also not good, right? Because I I can only imagine what that therapist might have been thinking. What happened to this person? Where did he go? 
right? Or what did I do wrong? Or for example, like, is this person safe? Like, did they go and do something? And from my point of view, it also hindered me for a time from trying to get more help because I was so kind of like, ooh, you know, I got to be careful because I don't ever want that to happen again. So even though I needed a lot of help and I needed it right then, which is why I originally sought services, um, it took some time again before I was able to even try to see another therapist. And that's kind of the issue is then if you're empowered, that could have been very different. For example, I could have gone in there, sat down and said really quickly to the therapist and truth and honesty, like you remind me of somebody who's assaulted me and I just can't, you know, I can't sit and my skin feels like it's crawling. Um, and I feel like that empowerment of saying, you know, even though there's a power dynamic and I've sought you for help. And if it doesn't work and it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit and it won't work. And that's when it's time to seek and find somebody who will work. And that's kind of the nice thing about mental health is therapists are aware of this process. They're aware that not everybody is a fit, right? And that some folks who really need help and come to them for help, they are not able to help because it's not a good fit. And so they are used to and know how to and are trained to. I kind of went in reverse there with that. But basically, they have the knowledge and the skills in order to refer that person to somebody who's a better fit. Now, if I had stayed in that process and finally had the courage to say that, but that was part of my mental health illness of why I was seeking services in the first place, that therapist might have been able to refer me. And that gap of time that I really struggled where I was not getting the help that I needed. And it was a time frame. I could have been receiving those services through that time frame instead of having to suffer through that time. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about in the next couple of podcasts. We're going to start with marriage and family therapy because that's kind of my expertise. But I'll also talk about... Um, theories of individual development. So marriage and family therapy always kind of takes the understanding of couples and systems and multiple people being involved. But therapy originally developed for the individual. And so a lot of marriage and family therapy developed, not all, but a lot of it developed out of already pre-existing individual therapy models. And so we're going to talk about marriage and family therapy first. So I'm going to kind of go in reverse here. Some folks will talk about individual therapy first and then move into marriage and family therapy. I'm going to start in reverse. So I'm going to start with marriage and family therapy, um, and then I'm going to kind of go into some of the more individual theories of development and um, change and uh, problems and behavior. So that way you can have kind of a holistic picture. And so first I'm going to start with some of the older ones. I'm going to kind of go through a timeline almost like chronologically, but not too chronologically because a lot of these mental health theories have adapted within the last 30 years, some a little bit later, have really have kind of come around simultaneously. And what I mean by that is, is that while one theory was being developed and honed and utilized, another theory was also being developed, honed and utilized. And... 
especially in marriage and family therapy, there's a lot of mixture where one therapist that was practicing this type of system was also working with this group of therapists who are working with this system. And you see some like handing off of techniques and beliefs. And so you'll see some similarities across the uh, the board there. And so we're going to kind of start early on um, with some of what they call like transgenerational theories. And then we're going to kind of move through strategic theories into kind of our more modern solution-focused collaborative theories. And we're going to kind of touch on how they define a problem. And then we're going to touch on how they believe people change. And so, and when I say that, I know there's some people who are listening who are on the spectrum of collaborative and solution focused and they're, they're saying, Hey, we don't, we don't even believe that there's problems. So when I get to the more modern theories, we're going to talk more about their like key ideas. Um, and then we're going to talk about how they see change. So for those folks who are listening, who are practicing more modern theories, more collaborative theories, don't worry, you know, I've got you and I'll do my best to uh, define. Now, with that being said, I myself practice an atheoretical approach or model, which means that I focus less on the theory. And so with that being said, that already puts me at a situation where I'm going to try to explain a lot of very specific um, theories that are not a theoretical. And so you're going to have a guy uh, who is trying to tell you about theories that he and his practice does not utilize. So um, I will do my best with that. But I also am putting a disclaimer on that, that I'm going to do my best to do that. But I'm not the expert in everything. And I would say I'm not even really an expert in many things, and that's okay because this is is to help uh, bring an understanding to rural and isolated communities about mental health, and not necessarily to be the be all end all doctor Phil expert on everything, um, but simply to try to provide some some good information to the best of my ability to an audience that sometimes doesn't have access to those things. So again, I just want to thank you for taking your time to listen to my podcast. If you hear any random noise in the background, as I've said before in other podcasts, and um, I think maybe at the beginning of this one, is that I'm fidgety. I talk with my hands. I'm very kinetic. So I'm I'm not sitting in some sound booth out in the middle of nowhere in a box someplace. I'm sitting in an office with a microphone, uh, and a rolly chair with headphones on, sitting next to a Lego Voltron, moving my hands, bobbing my head. And every time I do any of these things, the chair's squeaking, the, the desk is moving, uh, Lego Voltron's bouncing off the wall if I get too animated about these things. So thank you for listening. And if you like my content or, hey, maybe just like the way I sound and how goofy I am, um, go ahead and subscribe. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family, and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, 
and maybe you are, but you're not alone.